Welcome to The Sages Among Us, the show that focuses on people who are civically engaged, devoting their time and energy to serving their community. The Sages Among Us finds out who these people are, how and why they do what they do, and we learn a bit about the unique story behind each one. I'm your host, Brian Buckley, and today we're going to get the personal story of a citizen leader who is deeply engaged in making our community a better place. Educators are by definition civically engaged, as they work with all the families in the community with the goal of adding capacity and value to the lives of their students. The Sages Among Us has interviewed a number of educational leaders over the years, and my guest tonight fits well into that category. Scott Michael is the superintendent of Twin Ridges Elementary School District, serving students on the San Juan Ridge and Washington Ridge. Born and raised in Chicago, he moved to the Bay Area and worked in the building industry until he shifted his interest and profession to education. He's worked in several schools and school districts before coming to Twin Ridges and has resided in Nevada County with his wife and three children since 2010. Scott, welcome to the Sages Among Us. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's a real pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. Um, Tell us about growing up in Chicago. Well, first I want to say I'm flattered that you have me here. And uh, when I first told my wife that Brian Buckley had reached out to me to be on the show, she was like, that can't be right. (laughs) So. <laughs> you mean she hoped it was wrong? Yeah, she's like, they, are, she's like, are you sure that they were trying to get a hold of you? Um, uh, growing up in Chicago, uh, I'm from the south side of Chicago, for those who are familiar. Um, pretty working class place. And, you know, there was parts of my life in, where uh, my family lived in a, in a two-bedroom home, and there's three other siblings along with me, and we were pressed in a small space. But I feel like that was uh, an important part of my early childhood or, you know, even early adulthood. Um, I think in terms of things that made a big impression on me or even built a foundation for the life I have now, I really want to credit my dad. Um, uh, something that he, you know, instilled in me and, and my siblings early on um, was just the concept or, or value of doing things that are hard. Um, and even as a little kid, uh, we would he would challenge us with these sort of like he- feats of human you know, strength, like things like walking long distances or riding our bikes long distances, things like that. And so we have a lot of stories as kids um, about accomplishing things. And that really, those formative experiences build in, you know, a young person confidence about being able to do things later in their life. And I really credit him for that. So, yeah. Seems like, uh, yeah, parents are our first educators, aren't they? They are. I would add, too, that um, I'm an identical twin for those of uh, people who know me locally, and they, uh, they run into my twin all the time, too, who's also local. And there's no coincidence that my identical twin lives in Nevada City, too, uh, along with me. Twins tend to follow, them, follow each other, and that's definitely uh, an important, you know, foundational part of who I am. So who's older? Uh, my, my twin, Mark, is older by one minute. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's back in the 70s, all you right. know, with the C-sections. Does, does he lord that <laughs> over you? Uh, not really. He's pretty. Good. He's pretty good about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so you did a good job of of uh, describing your your growing up years in, in Chicago. Um, as a young adult, adult, you found yourself in the Bay Area. How did that come about? Um, well, there's the. It's it's an interesting story. Um, I I probably would start by saying that. My twin and I, after college, were sort of, this is before 9-11 for, for folks who are trying to wonder what my age is. Uh, <laughs> um, we, 
you know, kind of languishing after college, thinking, you know, hey, what, what's going to keep us busy? We decided to do something called the Pacific Crest Trail. Got it. Um, and uh, after a year of planning and saving up money from, you know, restaurant tips and bookstore wages, we made our way to the border of Mexico. So for folks who don't know, the Pacific Crest Trail is a, a long trail that stretches from the border of Mexico and California to the border of Canada and Washington. And we occupied ourselves for uh, five to six months, one summer, walking across uh, the west side of the United States. And that trail, for people who know locally, goes through Nevada County. And while we were walking through, while we uh, walked into Sierra City from the trail, it's about two miles from Sierra City, which is up Highway 49, um, we ended up um, uh, hitchhiking along with a, a friend to the San Juan Ridge, ironically, and stayed with someone for what would end up being one of the longest breaks that we took on the trail mm-hmm. uh, with a, a person that we would refer to uh, in parlance as a trail angel. <laughs> and we took a break because it's, it's hard work walking 25 to 30 miles a day. With and, the backpack. Yeah, with the backpack, uh, making your own food, picking up your, your, your mail and, and post offices and uh, but it was a beautiful trip, formative in terms of being a kid from the Midwest, uh, you know, sort of my introduction to the, the Great West and, you know, things like mountains and, and oceans that we don't have in the Midwest in Chicago. So just the landscape, mm-hmm. the scale of it all, uh, it, you know, it's a bug. And, and for those who have made it from the Midwest or even the East to the West, they know this. They, they, it, would re- it resonates with them, too. So Great. Well... I, I love how your your answers to the questions and your stories are are intersecting. I mean, talk about you know your dad pushing you. How long can you go? Sure. Uh, perfect, perfect uh, background for doing the Pacific Crest Trail and um, and how you got here. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, that, and that had to be a, a pretty huge experience in your life. Can you think of any other? Uh, sort of a, a watershed event that maybe you didn't even know it was a watershed event at the time, but looking back, it, it, it really brought into focus what was to come in your life. Um, I mean, I would definitely identify that experience walking across the country as, you know, mm-hmm. that moment that sort of shifted, like my whole outlook, maybe even my politics changed. I didn't know it at the time, you know, I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the things that I wanted in the community that I wanted and the experience of you know, I didn't have kids yet. I wasn't married yet. But uh, where I wanted to, like, stake out my life mm-hmm. uh, changed in that, in that time. And then, you know, there, there's some other uh, big adventure-type trips that have been, you know, formative for me especially. And it's interesting. Some people would point towards their time in college. Some point people would point towards their first job or something like that. But for me, it was these sort of, uh, you know, I would definitely credit these you know, these, these trips. And I'm thinking, you know, I rode my bike across the country with that same dad <laughs> and my twin um, uh, we, I've been on, you know, big, long mountain climbing trips for a whole mm-hmm. summer, that kind of thing. And so those, those definitely are that, that sort of like that shift is, is right. something I would credit. Yeah. Right. Well, um, I know that you spent some early adult years in, in the building trades and, uh, why did you go into education? What, uh, what happened there? How did that happen? turn about? Um, so I, I flirted with graduate school uh, once when I was in my early 20s and kind of settled pretty early on in building. Building was good to me as a young person. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I, you know, for, for a, a hot minute as a young man, I was making more money than my siblings as a builder. And I was like, this is great. You know, I, I think I found something. Um, but, 
you know, things change and work slowed one uh, summer and I, you know, drifted into uh, Cal State East Bay looking at, you know, what would be a way to sweeten an application to get into an MFA program. Uh, not at Cal State. I was thinking about going to Cal Arts. I wanted to study uh, sculpture. MFA means Master in Fine Arts. And uh, I thought, well, hey, you know, volunteering in a, in a high school classroom will, will look good on a grad school application. And I ended up in an art classroom um, and then started subbing for a teacher who went on maternity leave, who also gave me lots of encouragement to say, you know, hey, you're pretty good at this, you know, and, and it sort of made me rethink, maybe this is something I wanted to do. And, and so I got into an intern program at Cal State Ace Bay, as I mentioned, and from there, it's history. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, I, was, I was wondering, because obviously you, you got an early connection to Nevada County, but you, uh, you came here from the Bay Area. So how did you end up, frankly, in the Bay Area as opposed to some spot from along the Pacific Crest Trail? Well, I mentioned, you know, how twins are, they have a gravitational pull towards each other. So after the Pacific Crest Trail, I briefly went back to Chicago, so did my twin, but he pretty much pr promptly packed up and moved to Berkeley, following, a, <laughs> following a, a woman that he walked across the country with, too, that lives locally. Um, and uh, he, he landed in Berkeley. I landed in Denver for four years uh, with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my spouse. Um, and, but like I said, we, we followed each other, and, and I, I made my way to Berkeley. We were there for five years. Got um, it. Yeah, that's and a great okay. place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it sounds to me like you're glad you stopped off in Denver for at least a while. Yeah, Denver's a great, great spot, too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, good people there, too, right? Indeed. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned your... your your dad. Um, you know, are there any other people that were, you know, mentors or particularly influential for you? Yeah, I definitely can credit my mom too. She's an artist and um, a feminist, a soldier for her kid. I, I have, you know, when I meet with students and spend time with families, talking about my own experience as a student, as a kid, um, my challenges with getting in trouble and special needs, things like that were very influ influential. And my mom was definitely the person who was like, you know, had my back. Um, mm -hmm. You know, she's like, I tell people, she taught me how to ride a bike, you know. But then I can also add that, you know, as an adult, um, there's been a lot of people in my life that have had big influence on my choices and direction. And I credit two people in the Bay Area, Donald and Marlene Frothinger, um, who I've since passed, but uh, really close friends of mine and my wife's and I would credit them in terms of like like thinking of like if I could Label someone as a mentor in my life. These people personally were people who showed me a lot about what it means to live a good life All right. Yeah and, and, and Can you think of any particular? Lessons or or, or details and, and any uh, specific impact they had on sure. you? Sure. So Donald and Marlene um, I'll tell you a little bit about them. Donald was a draft dodger, Vietnam War dad, draft dodger, and landed, and I say that in a good way, <laughs> uh, made his way to Canada with his young wife um, and built a stone house in Nova Scotia. And, you know, things in his life and, and Marlene's life, they, they lived there for more than 20 plus years, uh, but they did make their way back to the United States and landed in, in the Oakland area. And I met them through, they were, uh, Marlene was actually my, my wife's boss at where she worked for Alzheimer's Services of the East Bay in Berkeley. And their story and trajectory was not just inspiring, but they 
they made life choices. And as we got to know each other as friends, I realized like, wow, I've had dreams about these people. These people have done this thing that I want to do, which is um, a, a kind of back to the land, um, you know, thing, which I like, I'm probably going to talk about it later, thinking about the qualities of the San Juan Ridge um, that attract me to working there and serving that population and that, that community. Um, That's how I made my way to Nevada County in part, you know, was that the dream of building a house and raising your kids in a place that's Great. in the country. Yeah. Right? Well, I, that was going to be my next question about how you ended up in, in Nevada County. I was thinking it was be because your, your twin was already here, but uh, it sounds like there, it was deeper than that. <laughs> yeah. In, I want to say 2009, you know, we're, we're one of these Bay Area folks that didn't make our, our Bay Area uh, couples that didn't, we didn't go to Napa or, or Santa Cruz when we had vacation time. Mm -hmm. We made our way to Nevada County. We would right. go to the fair. We would, uh, you know, would spend time at the river and there was just this compulsion, this pull towards the mountains. Um, maybe that's our, from our time in, 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 uh, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we ended up buying a little piece of land, uh, in Nevada city, a little acre and a half. And, uh, we sat on it for a while. We, we had for, I still taught in the Bay area. Um, and one day I had, a, I had a hard year that I mentioned to you before we started the show here. And, uh, at some point I just, I think we were kind of, we were here in Pioneer Park, in fact. I remember my wife and I, Annie, and we were just like, let's just move here. Let's, let's build a little, little tent house and, and build a house uh, on the property while in living in like a temporary shelter. And we did that. It took, it took about five years. It's a slow roll for those of you who've built your own house. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but that, you know, maybe another formative experience in, right. uh, that I would say that is, you know, it's one of those things that like when you're done, uh, you know, it makes uh, it's, it changes the way you think about the world and what you think you can do personally too. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. In a good way. In a good way. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, you know, you you mentioned that you had several um, s several educational positions, and what what drew you into educational administration, school admin. I like this question. So, uh, you know, you, you shared some of these questions before we got on the interview. Maybe I'm revealing some of the how the sausage is made here. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it a lot. And, and to be honest, the answer might, might sound like I read like some sort of business book or something. But it really is about this, this concept of leadership. Um, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't feel that I've personally, you know, that I'm compelled to be the boss or the manager of an organization as much as... Um, you know, feel compelled to to want to be right at the front of of something, that w especially in terms of service. Because my leadership roles have always been in, in pub service. public agency. You know, they're not. I don't have mm -hmm. a background as a private industry manager, or project manager, that kind of thing. So, um, I've been really interested in 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 not just being in front of people and and telling people, hey, this is what I think we should do, but it's much more about like bringing a team together, mm -hmm. people who've coached a sports team they get that feeling they're not on the field you know mm -hmm. it's players that are doing something different but you're you're on the sideline and to see what they do that your players mm -hmm. in any sport really is something magical so that's that compulsion i think was was early on and and some of those early roles were interesting you know they were not always um school admin sort of traditional school admin roles like site principal assistant right. principal that kind of thing they were like i was involved with an academy um I was a union president uh, for a little minute uh, at the high school. Those little uh, leadership roles, along with you know being a teacher on special assignment, there's another funky mm -hmm. one I had. Um, those were really formative for me, and I, and I was super 
uh, energized by right. those opportunities. And that I would say definitely, I would credit each of those little steps as kind of pushing me along to be like, Hey, maybe you could do this thing, mm -hmm. uh, kind of at the front of the front of a little organization. Cause it's pretty little over yeah. there at Twin Rivers. <laughs> well, well, hearkening back to the earlier, uh, part of our interview uh, again you know talking about the things that your your dad had you do there 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 is a sense of agency when you have that leadership role i mean you really feel you're you're part of the world yeah, yeah. indeed um you're listening to the sages among us on kvmr i'm brian buckley and we're talking today with scott michael superintendent principal of twin ridges elementary school district so you know the the role of superintendent principal brings some unique challenges uh, compared to a, a more typical role of, of principal or just that of superintendent. Um, how would you describe the unique nature of, of your job? You already did a little bit, and I appreciate that. Um, and, and what other schools uh, locally are, are headed by superintendent principals? Well, to answer the first part of the question, it's, I got to tell you, a pretty tough gig to do both at once. The job of, you know, you've probably in your educational career, Brian, have met superintendents and principals, and I know that you're very familiar with the superintendent principal role yourself um, and the district office role and the principal role sort of solo. Um, smashing these two jobs together is, is really hard. Um, being a principal is, is a big job. Being a superintendent is a huge job. Um, being an assistant principal is a really big job, too. I've got a lot of a lot of respect for those folks too. I did mm -hmm. that job, and um, it's like putting all that together at once. The scale of, of it all is a little different. You know, you're talking about the size of a of, of a district that's only, you know, 120 students maybe, but it still doesn't change. You know, the what you have to do. You have to know about each of those little roles. And there's and a fixed investment. Yeah. So yeah. I, I gotta say, it's pretty hard, but it's also something beautiful. Um, there are probably, I, I'm going to make a wild guess, you know, that there's like 400 superintendent principals in California, 1,050, almost 1,100 school districts. There's a lot of us, you mm -hmm. know, so, you know, there's, there's more of us than there are superintendents of L.A. Unified. <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, the, locally, we have a couple other uh, people who are in my role, and I got a ton of respect for them. So we got Katie Cole over at Chicago Park, and you got Dwayne Triplett over at Clear Creek. And then maybe most notably, we're blessed to have uh, a county superintendent of schools, Scott Lay, who knows this role intimately, formally mm -hmm. at Clear Creek for many years. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you know, with all the different roles that you've had, uh, have you taken anything from those roles uh, and made sure that you've incorporated that, it, that into your current position? Um, sure. I, I mean, there... Uh, like I would say sort of at a face value that um, that the skills that are involved with being a good teacher and a good educator transfer over, in my opinion, to management. I wonder if there are probably some educators listening out there that would disagree that just because you were good in the classroom doesn't necessarily translate to running an organization or a school district or, or that kind of thing. But, but you have to lead people in a classroom. Yes. Yeah. And that, that part of leadership really makes a difference you know the, mm -hmm. the same qualities of you know uh care and uh unconditional positive regard that uh, that a, that a really good teacher has for her or his students completely directly transfers over to being a good manager um being a good wor working well with people hearing their stories um uh, giving them space and voice all of those things involving them in, in decisions that make it so that when you are leading people are with you rather than saying like who the heck is this guy <laughs> so i would say that the lessons of the classroom 
um, doing the thing as best as you can and having those realizations early on uh, transfer over to eventually potentially leaving the classroom and doing something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're, you, you've been in this position for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had some other leadership positions as well, but you're relatively new to, to school administration. And I think that allows you to, to have a fresh perspective as well. Um, what are, what are some of the leadership lessons you've you've learned on the job so far? Would you say? Well, I I would say some of the lessons I learned aren't necessarily non traditional or fresh. I mm-hmm. think that a lot of people who are in leadership positions would list off similar lessons. Um, I mentioned you know the fact that everyone has a story, people's stories. You know, I'm thinking of people who work for me, but also students and families that interact mm-hmm. and interface with the school district. Their story matters. Um, you're asking me about my story. I'm telling you my story. You know, it's I'm flattered, by the way, to, to be sharing it. <laughs> it's interesting, too. It, it, yeah, it's a good story. It, it's, and and so, so listening to people, obviously, you know, that's not rocket science here. Uh, hearing people's stories, give them that space. Um, but then, you know, some other, you know, very traditional uh, lessons, like there's no replacement for hard work or... Um, there's bravery involved with doing what's right, things like that, mm-hmm. you know, telling, you know, doing what's right versus doing what's easy. Those are some, those are mm-hmm. some pretty basic lessons that I think transfer and they come from the past and they'll mm-hmm. probably matter in the future. <laughs> Maybe sometimes even a little bit lonely. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. There's some truth to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you, you know, you've had a wide variety of experiences and you, you haven't been a, a lifelong educator. Um, but based on your experience and observation, what is the role of schools in America Day today? And has it changed at all over time, in, in your opinion? Uh, I think educators would agree that the role of schools has expanded, you know, almost exponentially since the early sort of uh, arguments for, like, citizenship and preparing people for the workforce. Those are sort of, like, early... Mm-hmm. Jeffersonian arguments for the purpose of education for, for the citizens. Yes, yes, you know, to make sure that they're educated enough to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, now schools are, you know, in charge of, or or at least charged with everything from immunizations to, to you know, nutrition and and uh, everything, you know, and and and, it, and maybe it makes some point. You know, there's a point to it that it is one of the most sure contact it's a place where the state so to speak you know contacts people and families interfaces you know, with interfaces, everybody right? yeah. and everybody goes to schools compulsory by law mm-hmm. um so you know that's I, I would say that the role of schools though is is definitely uh you know we, we're now in a new paradigm with mental health um helping uh people uh, deal with uh you know not people but even just students families you know navigate uh, some of the loneliness that comes along with the digital landscape, um, things like that. So there's, you know, the, the burden, what, what we're trying to cram into the curriculum mm-hmm. of, of what we teach in schools is ever-expanding. I mean, look at mm-hmm. what, what high schools are, are adding on. You know, there's, things are getting crowded out. You know, mm-hmm. we're trying to teach health. We're trying to teach ethnic studies. Mm-hmm. We're trying to teach uh, uh, how to, you know, uh, how to be prepared for college and have a life plan, mm-hmm. you know, whereas the, the curriculum maybe even 30 years ago is a little simpler. You know, right. it might have been, you know, it's math, science, English, you got driver's ed. <laughs> and everything new brought in, there's, it's brought in with a sense of urgency, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you're 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 headed in this direction anyway. Let me let me make it real specific. You know, um, sort of like beyond what would be the receding challenge of a post-COVID education, getting everybody sort of back um, back to normal. Um, what do you think the big biggest challenges are that uh, schools face today? A lot of answers here. Um, I'm going to start first by making an appeal to everybody who's listening in this community that attendance is one of our greatest challenges right now. Um, we need to reestablish uh, the importance of daily attendance to school as a, as a value that the community has. Um, COVID has dented that. The great resignation has, has damaged that. People are a little, you know, that, and it, maybe it makes more sense to me as a former labor person, you know, that, that it's like the idea of quitting your job or, or more time off does make sense. I don't want that to transfer to the way that we approach uh, school for our children. Um, so we have, we have students that are missing a lot of school and that's a, and that's a big deal in my school district. Um, I would say that staffing is going to be, uh, is a big I, challenge. I just want to back up sure. and, and be clear about that. And, you know, there, there might be some times where there's an intentional missing of school for yeah. something that maybe is perceived to be even more valuable on a particular day. Um, and I think what you're referring to is just a lot of unintentional, uh, lazy missing of school. Yeah. Well, I would never use the word lazy with mm -hmm. any family. I think, I think the reasons for missing school are often very valid to any person. Mm -hmm. I think the crisis is just the, the accumulation the of attendance, mm -hmm. uh, you know, issues. I, we have, you know, I have students that miss 30 days of school. That's six weeks of school, mm -hmm. six weeks, you mm -hmm. know, and that's every school year. So, you know, we are probably cut from a different era, you know, where we missed a single day a year, that kind of thing. You, you had to, and, and it is true that we, we have a different approach to sickness. We have, you know, uh, we've obviously had quite the lesson with COVID and, that, and schools bear some responsibility with that mm -hmm. sensitivity towards um, uh, sickness and illness. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we truly do. Uh, but that being said, like just the idea of getting to school every day as a value. That's mm -hmm. what I mean. You know, so it's not really laziness as much as it is just a value. Uh, system. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Communicating with your school, uh, you know, you know, making the greatest effort to get there. You, you know, you miss a bus doesn't mean you should skip the whole day. It's like, right. get, get it together, get to school. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you've mentioned the San Juan Ridge uh, a couple of times in our interview, uh, and it's obviously a, a unique community. Um, what to you are some of the notable features of the Ridge? Wow, as not a person who is who hails from the ridge, I am uh, I'm tepid about about saying what these are because only people who are from there are the or I should say people who are from there and live there for many years are mm -hmm. the best the best uh, messengers for it. But you know things that I love well, about this. yeah what what works to your advantage or disadvantage there would you say well. I would say, you know, that there is this beautiful streak of self-reliance and, you mm -hmm. know, you could characterize it as a little uh, countercultural or anarchist, you know, uh, on one day. But it's also like this, as I mentioned, like a mm -hmm. kind of Emersonian self-reliance. And that's that's a really beautiful thing and probably mm -hmm. one of the more unique and, and I would say just absolutely obvious things about people mm -hmm. and families and part of that community, right? That people out there, you know, often made this choice to live in a place that is just a little bit more difficult to, you know, I, I, I said to students, uh, you know, at their eighth grade graduation uh, last year that, you know, kids 
and, and folks from the San Juan Ridge are just a little grittier. You know, they, they're a little tougher than maybe, maybe more than a little tougher than your average Nevada County. And, um, but that, you know, you ask, you know, does it, mm-hmm. it, it could, uh, that could also work as a disadvantage sometimes like the sort of, there can be a stubbornness around mm-hmm. self-reliance and, um, it doesn't always transfer to, to, you know, the, the, you know what I mean? Like looking for, right. for ways of, or other right. sort of solutions. Like we've got this, I don't need your help, you know, yeah. is a, and so sometimes schools are in that position, right? That right. are like, Hey, let us, let us help you. Let us, let us, you know, serve you in yeah. ways that we can make uh, you more successful. Right. Scott, we've got about 30 seconds. Uh, any, any final thoughts, anything you'd like to share before we have to sign off? Uh, well, just thanks for having me. I appreciate um, a chance to speak to the community and tell a little bit of my story. And like I said, I'm flattered to be asked. Great. Well, thanks so much for being here. It's been really enjoyable talking with you.